It's time for Growing Texas Olives, the only podcast made specifically for you, the Texas olive grower. And to my knowledge, we're still the only podcast in the world fully dedicated to just talking how to grow olives. Thanks for being here today. I am your host, Stephen Yonock. Well, it's, uh, I guess it's a beautiful day. Uh, all things relative, is another beautiful day. Sun was shining, birds were out, wind was blowing, and it was hot as heck. Uh, we're somewhere around the 6th of June, I believe, which in Texas we're just hot. It's, you know, it's summer. Uh, temperatures anywhere from 93 to 108, depending where we're at, trying to grow olives. And so at that point, we don't even look at the forecast or the temperatures anymore. It's just hot. Uh, a lot of us have been in a pretty severe drought. There's been a little bit of drought relief, depending where you are. Some folks have gotten some rain, but it's been kind of scattered and spotty to my uh, to what I've seen. Uh, so, anyways, we're hot and dry, and and uh, to that point, we're going to talk about irrigation in today's episode. Um, before I get there, a, a, a few announcements, uh, uh, housekeeping stuff. As you hopefully uh, know by now, uh, we we canceled the Olive Texas Olive program that was scheduled for June third. Uh, when I got the news about uh, what happened in Uvalde, we just made the decision to to cancel that program. Just didn't seem right to to go into Uvalde less than two weeks after what happened there and just carry on with our business as usual. Those folks are still still holding funerals even today. Um, so yeah, we, we canceled that program. Our, you know, I love olives and, and all of you guys, but olives are just not that important. Uh, our program was not that important. So we're going to reschedule that one. Uh, I, hopefully everybody found out about the cancellation in time. Hopefully nobody showed up there last Friday uh, wondering what's happening. Although I did get a pup, couple of people email and text me, you know, days before the event saying, hey, is this still going on? Or or I heard rumors that it was canceled. Is that true? So I don't know how my emails and stuff didn't reach everybody. But anyways, that program was, was canceled or delayed. We may look into rescheduling that maybe August, September time frame, uh, probably the same location. But I'm considering other, other locations. Uh, I'm just, I, I'd like to have a place with some air conditioning. <laughs> I've got other locations in mind, but none of them have air conditioning. And uh just a half-day program in August or September in Texas is, is going to be hot. So anyways, that's what we're looking for. Uh, on the Texas side of things, uh, I've announced it before, but the UC Davis Olive Center uh, is having a couple of programs that they've uh, they've released or started announcing. Uh, one of them is in June here, towards the end of June. It's their sensory evaluation, if you want to go learn about olive oil quality uh, and, and evaluating olive oil quality and training your your palate, I guess, to be uh, sort of an olive connoisseur or an olive oil connoisseur. Uh, this is the place to do it, or that's the place to do it. So look into UC Davis Olive Center for their sensory training. That, again, is towards the end of June. I don't have the dates in front of me, but look them up. 
and then I think it was just released, just announced last week uh, that I've, I've known about for a while, but they just announced UC Davis Olive Center is going to have an olive production uh, workshop or class or whatever. It's a two-day event. It's going to be in July. It's like the 17th through 18th, something like that, middle of middle to second half of July. Uh, so, yeah, sign up for that one. If it's all about growing olives for oil production. I think it's about oil production. I don't know if they're going to cover table olives. Uh, that wasn't uh, – hmm. I don't know. Although I'm pretty sure it's uh, for oil production, I'm going. Uh, I haven't registered yet, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm definitely going one way or another, hopefully. So yeah, that's what's going on. Those are the announcements. And we're going to go ahead and get into the topic of today, which is irrigation. And as always, I'm going to try to keep this brief. Uh, as a side note, props to those of you who have hung out um, and listened to those, listen to me ramble. I know some of these have gotten long, 30, 45 minutes, almost an hour sometimes. Uh, and that's got to be, I don't know, to, to sit and listen to one guy talk for 45 an hour uh, without anything to break it up. No guests, no music. No, I mean, so anyways, thanks for, for sticking in there and listening if you have been. Uh, I actually do have some plans. Uh, my plan was maybe after the uh, June 3rd program that I was going to have, my plan was to start maybe doing some guest interviews on this podcast, uh, other growers from Texas, maybe even taking this to California while I'm there, and maybe you know interviewing whoever I can get in touch with, uh, growers, extension people, the, the Olive Center people. Uh, so anyways, yeah, I, I do have some plans maybe to bring some growers on, um, have some guests on this show to, to break up. You know, you guys don't have to listen to me drone on forever. Uh, we'll break it up with some with some guests. So that's coming. Uh, but again, I'm going to try to keep today's episode short, as I always do. But irrigation, you know, we, I could make an entire, maybe not me, but a person smarter than me could make an entire podcast with you know, dozens and dozens of episodes just to talk about irrigation. So the point is, I'm not going to be able to cover everything in great detail today, but I want to start the conversation to get you thinking maybe differently about about irrigation. Uh, to, to think in terms of an orchard manager, to think in terms of the trees that you're dealing with in your orchard, and not just to think about, oh, it's hot today, I better turn some water on. I like the quote that one one Texas olive grower said to me. He says, you know, you water your lawn. We all water our lawns. But when it comes to the olive orchard, you better be irrigating and not just watering. And and I think what they meant by that was, you know, the, the yard, we can stand a little stress. We, we can wait until, okay, the grass is starting to kind of wilt, leaves folding up. Better throw some water on it, perk it back up. You know, and you, and you guess. You throw on hopefully more than... 15, 20 minutes, because that's shallow irrigation doesn't do what, but you throw on half hour, hours worth of irrigate, uh, of sprinklers, the next day the lawn pops back up, looks great, and you forget about it until it, till it wilts again. And that's watering, that's just keeping something alive, looking good, uh, with a disregard for the physiology and stress and, and, you know, your yard, your grass, you're not producing a crop. In fact, you'd, you'd rather not most of us would probably rather not have the cr the grass grow and produce more growth, but you're not producing a fruit crop, and that's what we're doing with olives. So we really need to to 
approach irrigation of olive orchards with more intention, intentionality, I guess would be the term, to really try to understand that we know what we're doing uh, rather than just a guesswork. Uh, I, I visit orchards and I ask about irrigation. You know, what's a what's the irrigation like? What you've been doing lately? How, how much is it running? Um, I think twice a week, maybe for two hours a set. I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at the, look at the timer or something. And, you know, that's the other thing. Your lawn, you can set it on a timer on a, on a, you know, two days a week. It's going to, it's going to, sprinklers are going to run for a half hour, two days a week on a set time every week, no matter what. And that can work. At times, you'll be over-irrigating. At times, you'll be under-applying water. Uh, but you can make that work. I really don't like scheduled calendar uh, irrigation scheduling in, in an olive orchard with total disregard for accounting for what's actually going on. Yeah, irrigation schedulers can be great. The little timer deals, the uh, you know the water box, the irrigation box where you set up days and times and, and run length, that can be great. But you can't just set that for the season and walk away from it and let it go for months on end without without adjusting it. It's got to be adjusted for rainfall. It's got to be adjusted for severe conditions. Uh, and so we're, we're going to talk about those a little bit. But I just, I really think that if you're going to try to grow olives in Texas, my experience is this is not one of those crops that you can plant, throw water at, and walk away and expect a crop, you know, with some regularity. There's some crops that can do that, you know, uh, our, our row crops or annual crops, put them in the ground, as long as they got a little fer- fertility and some water, they're going to set a crop. You can harvest something. Uh, oaks, you know, if we talk about trees, oak trees, uh whatever other native type trees that are that are well adapted and meant to grow here and adapted to our conditions you, you could throw some water at them as long as they have some fertility they're going to set a crop they're going to reproduce but but the, again the olive is not native here it, it is not adapted exactly to our climate yes our climates are similar to the mediterranean but but not exactly uh so, so I really think if you're going to try to grow olives and produce olive fruit, we've got to be more intentional about how we're managing soil moisture for these guys. And, and you know, there's, there's, there's multiple ways to do this, obviously, and it can get as high-tech and expensive and as complicated as, as, as you can afford, or it can be relatively simple and, uh, and, and cheap or affordable. So, you know, and, and the way that you approach it, the, the, the methods that you choose to use uh, will just be determined by, by what's available to you, what you're able to do. Uh, you know, if you've got a smaller backyard orchard and, and you're not, uh, you don't have uh, real high commercial intentions, you're not uh, uh, required to make a profit on this orchard, uh, and it's just kind of a, a, a serious hobby or a, or a light, uh, you know, side hustle maybe. Uh, and your orchard is maybe small to moderate size. Then you maybe are not going to use the most high tech and, and uh, integrated uh, 
techniques for for irrigation determination. You'll probably, you know, the the simple method then to, to use is just just what you have on you already: a shovel, your hands, your eyes, your brain, and uh, making irrigation decisions based off of your observations. So, uh, you know, you would go to the orchard and you would understand your soil types. You would know what dry soil feels and looks like. And you'd be going out to, you know, in your orchard on a somewhat regular basis and digging. You can't, you can't, you just can't tell what's going on underground by looking at the surface. And so you've got to dig down. And so where do you dig? Well, you dig in the root zone. You dig where the irrigation is going. Uh, and and I want you to, let me back up a second and talk about thinking about irrigation. I, I visited a grower a few weeks ago and uh, they were complaining or they were uh, addressing a concern of theirs that they were not getting good infiltration of water. And, you know, they're applying irrigation. It seems to be running off, not going into the soil, not infiltrating fast enough, or rainfall was puddling up between the rows and not going in. And so they thought that a solution might be to plant cover crops. And I'm not going to, I'm not a, against cover crops at all, but I'm for the, the judicious use and knowing what we're doing when we use cover crops. But my point in this is that they thought, or their, their, a suggestion for their own problem was maybe, okay, we're going to plant cover crops between the trees. That's going to help, you know, break up compaction, add organic matter to the soil. Maybe that'll help infiltration. And, or, and, and cover crops can influence infiltration rates of soil. They can improve it uh, in most cases or some cases. But my, my statement to that grower was, um, why? I mean... So I understand, yeah, the, the space between the rows, uh, that's where we can go. <clears throat> so I understand, you know, the, the space between the rows, uh, you know, we can grow a cover crop there. there there's obviously going to be some roots there. But if, you know, I think like 95% of the orchards in Texas on are, are on a drip irrigation system. And so you're applying water down that down the middle of the row not between the rows and for most of texas for most of the growers let's say west of i-35 and and even shoot maybe even west of i-45 that may be a little bit extreme but somewhere between 35 and 45 i might draw the line but the point is for the growers in the western part of the state where your tree is basically living off of irrigation and cannot count on rainfall the vast majority of the roots of the tree that are going to be active and absorbing water are right down the irrigation row, right down that irrigation line on top of the row, down the middle of the row. Not not so much between the rows. Yeah, there's going to be root growth out there when it rains and the soil is moist. Roots will grow out in between the rows. But when it dries out, those roots die. So when soil gets dry, roots die back. So the majority of living, actively absorbing, healthy roots of the tree are right in that drip zone, right where you're applying water. And so my suggestion then is to think more so only about that area when you're thinking about irrigation and water availability for your trees. I know it's it's maybe not it's a little not uh, holistic or or 
romance, uh, romantic, uh, to, to think about the orchard in this way. We like to think about, you know, the whole soil, the whole area, the whole orchard system. Is this one beautiful holistic system that we manage? We can get there to that point, but at this point, with with the limited success that we've had in Texas growing olives, I think we need to set that aside and focus on being good scientific-based farmers of the crop and understanding what's going on with the crop. So let's set aside that, that whole orchard floor, soil health, uh, holistic view and, and view the irrigation of your trees as, for most of you, you have one or two drip lines running down the row, you know, right next to the trees. And so your effective wetting area, the area of the orchard that you're actually applying water to, maybe depending on your soil texture, somewhere between three and six feet wide or seven feet wide, depending on soil texture. And that six, that three to six foot wide strip runs down the row. And uh, that's, that is your, that is your farming area. The space in between those wetting zones between the rows is basically only there for your intents and purposes as a farmer. That space between the rows there that's not being wetted is just for for traffic, for you to be able to get through, do stuff in the orchard, and to allow good good sunlight uh, penetration. Um, if you planted them too close, you wouldn't have enough sunlight on the side of the canopy. So that's how I want you to think about your orchard water, soil moisture, root irrigation management is that three to six to seven foot wide strip right down the row where you're applying water, you're applying nutrients because most of you are applying uh, through fertigation uh, nutrients through the through the drip system or through the irrigation system. So that's the area that you're farming. Kind of disregard the area in, be- in between and, and at least in terms of irrigation and soil moisture. Uh, Will that soil moisture between the rows contribute some to the growth of the tree? Absolutely, some, but a, but probably arguably a very negligible amount compared to the influence that you have down that tree row in that wetted strip. So that's how I want us to think about uh, about our, our irrigation, our soil moisture management. So that's kind of 2D. Now I want you to think about it 3D in terms of depth. We've got the length and the width of the area that we're managing right beneath our trees. I want you to also think about the depth that we're irrigating to. And and you need to understand and have have a visual or have a measurement of your own rooting zone, your effective rooting depth. And this obviously changes over time from a newly planted orchard that's going to have shallow roots to a more healthy, I mean, excuse me, a more established orchard five, six, seven years down the road. Yeah, they're going to have a little bit different uh, depth of roots. Uh, And let me address another fallacy right now. Uh, I've had people talk to me and we're talking about irrigation. They talk about a taproot. Because the olive is a dicot tree and, and dicot plants typically have a taproot, but that's not the case here. Remember that these olive trees are propagated by vegetative cuttings. And when we force adventitious roots to form on these vegetative stem cuttings, those adventitious roots behave and grow and, and change, uh, mostly behave and grow differently than 
roots from a tree that's grown from seed. A seedling-grown tree will have a taproot. So a seedling-grown olive tree, yes, will have a taproot and have some of those seminal roots that act as anchors and have that typical kind of dicot root structure that you picture. But our rooted cuttings, our olive trees grown from rooted cuttings, will not have that taproot. Guarantee will not have a, 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 a taproot that you recognize. Uh, we've dug up trees. I've dug up six-year-old olive trees in Texas, and it, it blows my mind to, to look at it now, to think about it in this way, but we dig up the tree, we knocked and washed off all the soil from the root, and we dug up like a six-by-six-foot area to get a bunch of the root system in, intact. And when you look at the base of the tree and the roots coming off, it literally just looks like a rooted cutting that's grown in size. There's no typical taproot with these root structure with these roots going down and out. It's just a mass of roots right at the base of a cut. looks like a cut limb with a bunch of roots that somebody glued onto it and they're all just going out. So what they say about the olive tree that it's somewhat shallow rooted, yeah, that's kind of true because we don't have those tap roots, those seminal roots that really go down deep, anchor, anchor the tree in, go for that deep water. We don't have those. So we do have somewhat of a limited rooting system, rooting zone. Uh, but my experience digging up uh, established olive trees in Texas is that we generally generally look at the top about two to two and a half, maybe three feet. And of course, this depends on soil type and soil profile. Some of you have a limited soil profile that really only the top 18 inches is where you're going to find roots. Some of you have a nice, deep, uh, consistent soil profile where, yeah, you may find roots consistently down to about three feet, four feet maybe. Um, in California, when I read and talk to those people, they generally look at about a four, four and a half foot rooting depth, uh, but they tend to have very deep, very homogenous, uh, nice soil profiles uh, that we don't have a lot of here in Texas. So that that's my point. We need to, in the, when we think about it in 3D terms now, think about the depth that we're wetting and the target depth that we want to wet is based on that zone of active root growth. So if you don't know, if you've never dug a hole, now's the time. <laughs> Get out there and dig a hole. Dig a few of them next to your trees and see where the roots are. And rooting depth, let me just say this, can be influenced by irrigation regime. If for the last five years, your irrigation management is uh, made up of short, frequent irrigation sets where you're running, you know, any a short amount of time, but you're doing it frequently, like more than two times a week. If you're irrigating more than two or three times a week, you're, you're probably doing short sets, and uh, which means you're probably not irrigating very deeply, not getting a very deep wetting front. And once again, roots grow where the water is. And so if you consistently apply water for that tree and it only gets down to an 8 or 10 or 12 inch depth and you go dig a hole there, you're going to find the majority of your roots in that 8, 10 or 12 inch depth. Not You'll find some below, but not as many because that's where they're conditioned. That's where they know to find water. Historically, you've applied water there. So just keep in mind that your irrigation practices can also influence the depth of rooting uh, which is a good thing to keep in mind going forward, too, as you determine how and how much and how often and when to water. 
because what we would like to do is kind of, we would like to picture our soil profile. And we're thinking about irrigation. We'd like to picture our soil profile because we've dug into it. We know how deep how deep it goes. We know what our potential rooting zone is. Let's say we've got a nice soil. We've got at least three feet of good topsoil where we think roots can grow. That's going to hold moisture, not be too hard. Uh, and, and so we would like to really try to encourage roots to use that entire three foot of profile or four foot if you have it, or if you only have two feet, then think in terms of two feet. But we would like to get those roots and condition them to using that entire profile. We'd like to get them as deep as possible. And we do that through through the judicious management of irrigation application uh, by wetting down, applying irrigation water in such a manner that it that the water in the soil gets down all the way to the lowest depth where you think you might be able to grow some roots. And for most of us, again, that's going to be about three feet. And so we need to be getting water somewhere down to that two to three foot level to encourage roots to stay growing, stay alive down there, uh, because it's, the reason for that is obvious. The lower you go in the soil profile, the more water is uh, conserved over time, right? The top, of the, so- top of the soil dries out first, and then that drying front moves down over time, and so you conserve the most uh, down in those deeper depths. So that's where we would like, where we would like to encourage root growth, those deeper depths. So... That's what I mean by, about thinking about this in 3D, uh, thinking about the, the, the width of the wetting area, the length of the wetting area would just be our rows, and then the depth of the wetting area. So we're really, I mean, you could, it's almost, I was talking to that same grower that I mentioned before, and I told him, you could almost think about this in terms of uh, sort of like a hydroponic setup. You know, hydroponic just, it doesn't use any soil. It just delivers water uh, consistently in small amounts directly to the roots in the air uh, and provides everything that they need. We're kind of doing the same. We're just using the soil as a storage media, but but we're only thinking about it in these terms of limited size and space. Uh, like I said, that three to six to seven foot wetting width the length of the row, and then the depth that we're trying to get the water and the roots down to. That's the, the, that's the picture that I think you need to have in your mind as you go about irrigation scheduling. I hope that's that's making sense to everybody because I just spent, uh, what does it say, I don't know, 15, 20-something minutes talking about uh, the way that I, I think you should be picturing this stuff in your mind. So then if I go back and uh, finish up kind of what I was talking about in terms of, uh, you know, methods for determining when, where, how much to irrigate. Uh, I was talking about, you know, the, the simple method, the basic method, using your, your vision, using your feel, using your brain to think about it. Uh, and so that's where you go in. Okay, uh, it's been hot and dry. I haven't irrigated in, in five days. Let's Let's see where we're at. You're going to dig a hole or you're going to use an auger and auger down at least to that that depth, uh, that rooting depth or that irrigation target depth that you're going for. Maybe it's two feet, maybe it's three feet based on your experience. And you're going to dig down to that depth and see, okay, as I go along, as I'm digging down, is it wet, is it dry, is it somewhere in between? Uh, 
this can be very, very accurate. Once you get a little of experience, it can be very, very accurate. And, it, and I think it's fun. I think it's, <laughs> I just think it's really cool to learn how to judge soil moisture based on its look and its feel. Hopefully you've heard me talk about this before. Uh, there's a guide online, uh, USDA NRCS put out this guide Something called something like uh, estimating soil moisture by touch and feel or, or by feel and appearance or something like that. If you just Google those kind of terms, you'll, you'll come up with this publication. It's got great uh, descriptions and examples. It goes through, you know, for, for coarse sandy soils or for sandy loam, for silty loam, for clay soils. It breaks it down and then it'll show you, okay, in a silty loam soil, or in a, let's just say in a sandy loam soil, 0 to 25% available water capacity, your soil should look like this. When you squeeze it, when you form a ball with it in your hand, this is what the ball will look like. This is what the staining on your, on your fingers will look like. If you bounce the ball in your hands, it'll fall apart in this many number of bounces. All of those things are really cool, just low-tech ways to judge the, the percentage of available water in the soil. So I think you need to be doing that. You're not going to learn it after one time. Like I said, this is all experience. Farming is a an experience that you build on for 75 years, and maybe by your 76th year you can tell somebody, I think I got most of it figured out. But anyways, that's what that's what we're doing. For the low-tech, the simple method, we're, we're digging a hole, seeing where our moisture is at, at different depths, understanding our rooting depth and saying, okay, Right now, uh, at the base of my rooting depth, at a foot and a half or at two feet, I estimate that we're at uh, 75% available water capacity. Uh, okay, and, and with your experience and over time, maybe you go back two days later and you dig a hole and you look again. Uh, or maybe it's four days later and you say, oh, okay, now, now it's about 50%. And maybe you do it a few days later, now it's about 25%. Okay, now I'm kind of understanding how quickly it depletes based on, you know, the, the weather for the past week or so. Uh, and, then, and then you turn your, turn your water on. And there's, again, we can get as scientific as we want and, and as much you can get a Ph.D. in irrigation management uh, to figure out how much to water. But for a lot of you, the basic low tech, turn it on for what you think is the right amount. Um, once it turns off, give it a day or two and then go back and dig a hole again. See how far down that water that you applied, see how far down it got, see how wet it made it feel. It may have gotten down to that two feet, but it may not have, have saturated at that two feet depth. You know, you may have only increased from 25% available water to, to 50% available water. Okay. I did that much. Maybe next time I just need to let it run a little bit longer, or maybe I need to run, you know, two sets, two days in a row, uh, half the time. There's a lot of a lot of figuring out that has to be done based on your soil texture, your your conditions, and everything else. But that's kind of the basics of how, for a low tech, simple method, we start to sort of audit our irrigation management and really pay attention. Uh, yes, the olive tree is very drought tolerant, but for a lot of you reestablishing, regrowing orchards where you're not in fruit production yet, you don't, you, you want to avoid all drought stress during this spring, summer. You want to avoid all drought stress, get that tree growing as much as possible. Maybe we'll cut it back 
here in late summer and going in the fall and winter. Um, so, so that's, I'm, I'm going to kind of leave it at that for now. Um, there's a whole bunch more I want to talk about and we're going to do in the next few episodes. Um, we're going to get a little bit more into the science, a little bit more higher tech understanding and high tech ways to, to evaluate irrigation needs and irrigation management. Um, you know, we're going to talk about evapotranspiration rates and the tools that are available to you, even without high dollar sensors and, and pressure chambers and stuff, even without all that, what you can do to be a better irrigation manager, avoid uh, drought and water stress on your trees, uh, and just maybe grow some better, better olives in Texas here. So uh, that's where I'm going to leave it. I hope that, I hope that you start to, to think about irrigation in these ways then. Don't think about watering those trees. Really think about irrigation. And it. And the last piece that I'll say is, you know, you look at your trees, you look at your soil, you dig your holes, you feel the soil, you look at the guidelines online, you do all this, you, you run your irrigation, you see the changes it made in the soil, you take all that information, and then you combine it with what you're seeing in the environment of the atmosphere. Sorry for the background noise. Apparently, Hallettsville is traffic at uh, at whatever time this is in the evening. Uh, so you take all those observations and you combine it with your atmospheric or environmental observations. How hot is it? How much has the wind been blowing? What's the relative humidity? And how much sunshine have you gotten? So we lose the most water when it's sunny, low humidity, high wind, high temperatures. And the opposite conditions of those, obviously, evapotranspiration, ET, loss of water is the least when the conditions are opposite of those. When conditions are cloudy, cool, high humidity, low wind, very little water is being lost. So we just, we just take all those orchard observations, combine them with weather and climate observations, and, and we start to develop this understanding of, of how much, when, where, irrigation needs to be applied and this is just scratching the surface with this episode so hang in there uh we're gonna dive into a lot more as we go on in the the next few episodes so so with that i'm gonna say adios for now uh thank you guys for listening hey thanks to my buddy jay schmidt for this intro and and exit music i I just i still really love it thanks buddy Uh, that's it for me you guys as always have questions feel free to contact me anytime I love hearing from you I love working with you and uh, stay cool out there alright y'all take care of each other you take care of those olive trees and we'll talk to you again soon when it's time again for Growing Texas Olives <laughs>